Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Becker and you're listening to The Absurdity, a podcast where I attempt to address the absurdity of the world with the absurdity of the gospel. After a long hiatus, I am back, and because of the way life has panned out, I've decided to kind of adjust and shift how I approach this podcast. You see, when I set out to start, I had one rule in mind for myself. I wouldn't record an episode unless I felt there was something worth saying. In other words, I can't expect to post an episode every single week at the sacrifice of the content. I would much rather wait until there is something to address. Now, I've held true to that for the most part, but in the time period of waiting for something new to say, when I did finally have something to say, I let life get in the way. So I've decided to instead approach this podcast in seasons like a TV show. So welcome to Season 2, Episode 1, Listening, Part 2. He started it. If you've, if you've been listening to the first episodes of this podcast, you'll recall that I did an episode called The Art of Listening. So I want to jump off of that episode today and talk a little bit more about how we are engaging in our conversations with each other. I have noticed some patterns and I want to call attention to, I want to call attention to them because, well, I think they are worth rethinking. Let me start by asking you this. Is the way you talk about controversial issues with people the best way to do so? Are you open to rethinking how you approach those conversations? Now, here's why I ask these questions. If your answer to the first question is yes, that your way is the best way, then contact me and get on this show because I want to hear what your communication style is and why it's the best. I believe that if we found the best way to communicate, then we should be sharing that. I could always use some more guests anyways. If your answer to the second question is no, that you are not open to rethinking your your way of communication, then perhaps there is a heart issue with how you communicate or how you regard other people in relation to yourself that is blocking you from seeing someone else's perspective. If this is the case, then you've probably fallen into the trap of the echo chamber. For those that don't know, an echo chamber in today's language basically means that you've surrounded yourself with voices and opinions and perspectives that echo your own, and they they only echo your biases and your perspective. They are not reflecting any voice that disagrees with you. Now... To some extent, all of us do this. We all have biases and leanings, and we all favor created content that leans our direction. For example, I know that this very podcast attracts a certain type of person and totally disgusts another. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with biased content, but it's important that we understand what our biases are so that we can deal with them, address them, and not let them prevent us from learning and growing together. What's not okay is what happens to us if we do not treat that echo chamber with great care. We develop an us-versus-them mentality over time if this is left unchecked. See, here is everyone who agrees with me and is obviously right, and over there is everyone who disagrees with me and is clearly wrong. They are the enemy. We vilify the other. When we develop this worldview out of an echo chamber, we stop being willing to learn. 
It's one thing to allow people to speak affirmation into our lives. It's another to allow people to feed our ego. And it's a fine line between the two. When our ego is fed, we stop asking open questions and start asking pointed questions. When we trench ourselves into our echo chamber, we stop listening to anything that might disagree. We are disinterested with anything that might disagree. And the ego becomes a fragile, bloated part of us to protect at all costs rather than something to be addressed and reduced in the name of treating others with decency and respect. Let me give you an anecdotal example of this. I live in the South. Specifically at the time of recording, I live near Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's a pretty urban area, but on the outskirts and in the greater Charlotte area, you hit the stereotypical South pretty quickly. Given the voter demographic in the past presidential election, you best believe most people I meet on the outskirts of Charlotte favored Trump. Now, there's nothing wrong with that inherently. I was in a room one time with several older gentlemen who were discussing the election and discussing why they favored Trump's vision for the presidency. Once again, nothing wrong with that discussion, just to be clear. At one point in the conversation, one of them stopped, turned to me, pointed a finger in my face, and asked very blatantly, you're not voting for Hillary, are you? Bear this in mind. When someone asks a, you're not really going to do X, are you? question, they are looking for a very specific answer. They want you to answer in a way that agrees with them. And if you don't, you risk losing their respect or attention. This question was a test to see if I would fit and could be included into that echo chamber. And I recognized it right away. I knew this person wasn't interested in having an open dialogue about the election or about my thoughts, regardless of whether I agreed or disagreed with him. He wanted to hear me agree, and if I didn't agree, the only reason he would want to hear why is so that he could disprove my reasoning. So this was my response to him. This is not a conversation I'm interested with in having with you at this time. Whether I agree or not, no good would come of me answering with my beliefs or perspectives, because he doesn't care about my direction, he only cares that it reinforces his own. Had he asked, hey, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the election. Who are you planning to vote for? That would have been a much different conversation, and it would not put me on the defensive. It would have shown openness to whatever answer would come, and it would have made me feel like my opinion might have been valued. And this is the heart of the issue I want to talk about today. When you talk about controversial issues... Are you making sure that the other person is a valued part of your conversation regardless of their viewpoints in relation to your own? Or do you see them as threats to the safety, security, reason, logic, knowledge, etc. in your life by chance if they disagree with you? Now, I, I know that we all want to answer that question positively. I know our first response would be, yes, of course I do that. So I want to address three different patterns of conversation that I've watched over the last several months, over the last few years actually, which may help you figure out the real answer to that question in your own life. But I don't want to leave you there because I don't want, to be, I want, I don't want this to be an accusatory episode. 
I want us to be looking at how we can more effectively have these conversations, and I want to give us tools to improve the way we have them, regardless of where we are on the spectrum of, yes, I value others' opinions, or no, I don't treat them with any respect because I don't believe they deserve that respect. So before we move forward, I want to be very clear about what I'm addressing today. I am not attacking any political ideology. I'm not vilifying Hillary or Trump supporters. I am not vilifying Republicans or Democrats, conservatives or liberals, Christians or atheists, Muslims or Jews, etc. What I am addressing is the way that we interact with each other. When we interact with each other, all of those ideologies simply become the vehicle that we use to do so. So I am not attacking the ideologies themselves. I am only dealing with our conversation patterns that, that manifest themselves through topics and ideologies like those. So there's nothing wrong with being a liberal. There's nothing wrong with being a conservative. But there is something wrong if you are using that as a means to beat someone else up. The, ideal, the ideology isn't the issue, but our behavior is. I believe discourse, both public and private, is very much needed, and never in this podcast will I attempt to stifle someone's conversations. I want to simply be a voice speaking to how we have those conversations and seek to always raise the bar in how we do so. So with that in mind, let's dive into the first conversation pattern. The first conversation pattern is this, using blanket and negative group labels to disqualify someone's perspective. This is otherwise known as condescension. If you are one to frequent the website Reddit, you will see this almost immediately in two different subreddits, Politics and The Donald. These are two different subreddits, which over time have come to represent different sides of the political spectrum. Because of the general age group and age demographic of Reddit, the Politics subreddit over time began, began to lean very liberal. Most articles and news that are posted and shared to that subreddit tend to favor a democratic and liberal view of politics. The Donald is different from politics in that, from its very inception during the election, it is always meant to support Donald Trump and conservative ideals. If you read the comment sections of anything posted to these subreddits, you will inevitably come across something sounding like this. All these conservative idiots want to do is destroy America, or all these conservatives do the same thing, or all these liberals want to do the same things, all liberals want this, or all libtards, and that's kind of a personal favorite that I've seen tossed around. I always chuckle when I, when I see that because it seems, like, it seems like someone's really stretching to come up with some sort of insult, or that's just how liberals operate. You see, when we blanketly apply a title to an entire group of people, it is a way of disregarding their opinion. And you might think, well, well, certainly I don't think all conservatives or liberals are idiots. But here's the thing. Say something enough and you begin to act like it's true regardless of your personal belief on the matter. And this happens slowly over time. It's not a steep hill that you roll down. It's a long, gradual slope that you walk down. And I see this manifest itself on Facebook all the time. We use blanket statements about a group or people as if every person who may identify in that group 
fulfills every single stereotype or perceived belief that the group holds. Here's the problem. That's almost never true. All you need to do to realize this is look at any group you identify with and note the differences between you and others in that group. I am an Adventist. Not all Seventh-day Adventists are the same. Some are vegetarian, others vegan. Some won't swim on the Sabbath, others will play some basketball on the Sabbath. Some prefer hymns, others prefer contemporary Christian music. In atheism, there are militant atheists and there are pacifist atheists. In LGBTQ plus and heterosexual groups, there are those who seek promiscuity and others who seek monogamous long-term relationships. In Islam, there are those who seek the heads of non-believers and there are those who want to have dinner with non-believers. In every single social, religious, and economic group, there are always deviations from the norm. Always. And it wouldn't be very far-fetched for me to say that perhaps you consider yourself a deviation from the norm in any group that you belong to. So when we approach a conversation willing to negatively identify an entire group of people, we instantly reveal that we don't view anyone in that group as equal to ourselves. We dismiss the entire worldview, and because we do, we stop being willing to give someone the respect and dignity they deserve just by virtue of being human. You wouldn't want me lumping you in the negative aspects and stereotypes of your social groups, especially if they don't apply to you. So why would you want to do the same for someone else? So here's how you identify if this is what you're doing. If as soon as you find out what a group or per, group, what group a person belongs in, if as soon as you figure that out, you dismiss their viewpoints, then you're guilty of this. If you regularly call a group by some insulting version of their name, like libtard for liberals, then you are guilty of this. If you enter a conversation only with the mind to prove someone wrong, you are guilty of this. If you don't care what someone has to say, you are guilty of this. Anytime that you or myself, anytime we lob these generalized insults toward the individual, you are feeding your ego instead of treating someone with respect and you are valuing someone's opinion based on the group they belong to instead of on their own merit as an individual. And here's the most important thing about this. If you fail to treat the individual with respect or dignity, you will never win them to your side. You will never convince them that your arguments are true or correct. People in general care much more about feeling valued than they do about how right you might be. And if you consider that in itself a flaw in society, that's fine, but it doesn't give any of us the right to be a jerk without cause. In conversations with someone, the goal should be to meet them where they are, not where you are. This is why it's condescending when we don't do this, because it's inherently saying, I believe that my worldview is better than yours, and yours is so much beneath mine, so far beneath mine, that it's not even worth giving the time of day to. So our first conversation pattern is condescension or using blanket and negative group labels to, to disqualify someone's perspective. The second, I like to call it the, uh, the he started it argument. In layman's terms, deflection. I'm the youngest of three children. My brother and I growing up would get into fights and arguments a lot. And every time we would get in trouble, one of us would always say, well, he, he started it. In fact, this is a statement almost everyone has heard or used at one point in their lives as they grew up. 
It's a tactic used by kids to deflect the blame and hopefully the punishment onto the other person. And it's like a comparison game. Yeah, yeah, you caught us, but I'm not as bad as he is. I don't deserve the punishment he does. So don't focus or think about what I might have done only on what the other has done. But here's the problem with that. That logic alone doesn't absolve its user of personal responsibility for their actions. Yeah, the other person may have started it, but you continued it. And you joined in. You have wrongs you need to address and accept responsibility for. Now, several of us like to think that we've outgrown this logic. And around 8th grade, most of us stopped using that, that specific saying. But in last year's election, I saw it in full force more than ever. Though the words have changed, though the statement has changed, the logic stays the same. I remember any time someone would denounce Trump on Facebook, YouTube, etc., the comments would be filled with, Oh yeah, well, well, Hillary did X, and I would see it and vice versa. Hillary is the devil. Oh yeah, well, Trump did this. That response is great and all, but it does two things. One, deflects from the subject at hand. And two, it prevents you from having to own up to any real issues that might be present. It means that we never actually deal with the problem. This is true regardless of which side you are on the matter. See, if I deflect by saying Hillary or Trump did this as well as the other, then I'm saying that, oh, two wrongs make a right. I'm not willing to address it in my candidate unless you're willing to address it in yours. In other words, this isn't just bad because one person does it, but because both have done it, I don't feel the need to deal with it. This problem is so widespread, it's actually incredibly refreshing whenever I see someone say, you know, you're right about this, but I don't know how I feel about it yet, or how I'm going to reconcile this yet, but I'll figure it out. Or just, hey, you know, I don't know what to do about this. Intellectual honesty should come before deflection. Deflection shows our unwillingness to deal with something that might hurt us. Deflection shows our unwillingness to have open and real conversation. Deflection shows how much we are willing to respect the person we are responding to. And lastly, deflection shows how honest we are willing to be with ourselves. So how do you identify if you are guilty of deflection? If this is something that you do? When you respond, do you change the subject? When someone points out a flaw in your life or a flaw in your character, do you immediately respond by pointing out a flaw in theirs? When someone points out an issue, do you do anything other than own it? If so, then you're guilty. So now we have two, condescension and deflection. The third I will cover today is projection. This is what happens when we read our own experience into someone else's worldview, words, or experience. Allow me to give you an example. Uh, recently, I shared a status on Facebook, and it was an excerpt from a sermon that I was going to be giving at my church. Now, as this status got shared, as this excerpt got shared, several people started commenting, liking, and, and the rest of it, and it kind of went semi-viral, and people started responding pretty harshly to it. There were those that would comment and accuse me of Adventist bashing, when in reality, I was targeting those who would use the truth of Adventism to abuse others in the, tr in the church. 
And I recall one man I spoke to in the comments section saying something to the effect of, I'm just so frustrated with Adventist bashing. See, once I had given him the context, that's when he finally admitted that statement. Once I had helped him to understand what I was saying by the excerpt and and that I wasn't talking about the truth of Adventism being a problem, but I was talking about those who would use it as a means to beat others up. That was the problem. See, what happens when we project our own experience or frustrations into someone else's communication is that we end up missing the entire point. We react with our gut instead of our head, and we end up vilifying the other person. The most common way I see this happen is when someone poses a question or just offers an opinion about a controversial issue, and immediately everyone rushes to give theirs. And the disconnect between the point of the original status or the original content and the comments become increasingly apparent. It's as if those people didn't read the original post at all. There are more ways than just these that I believe we are mishandling our conversations. But if the gospel is about Jesus allowing us to live in freedom, and he calls us to love each other, to build each other up, to seek one another's interests before our own, and to seek to serve others, then I believe we should do just that, even in heated conversations about the things that are important to us. So how do we combat condescension, deflection, and projection? Well, to combat condescension, I would arm you with this. Refrain from using any insults at all when you talk with someone. Admit that you don't know everything as you type and talk. Say, hey, you know, I haven't really looked into this all the way, but here's what I've found so far. Remember that you and the other person usually have the same goal in mind, but different ideas on how to get there. So find common ground. Remember the other person's value and dignity. And ask yourself before you respond if your response builds others up or tears them down. And change it to build others up. To combat deflection, own your mistakes. Own your ideologies, unknowns, and gray areas. Focus on the subject at hand and ask yourself before you respond if your response distracts or focuses on, distracts from or focuses on what is being talked about. And make your intentions clear from the start. Say, hey, look, this is what I want to talk about today and know that I'm not trying to hurt you with what I'm about to say and know that this comes from a good place or know that I respect you and I value you and I want to try and understand more fully. To combat projection, read, watch, or ingest someone's content twice before crafting your response. Wait a few minutes before responding. Don't worry, the content will still be there when you get back. Consider responding in private instead of in public. Read your response before you send it and ask if it's really addressing what the person is saying. And this this is the one I can't stress enough. If you are even 1% unsure of what the other person is saying, ask for clarification before you respond. Say, hey, I'm having trouble understanding what you're saying. Can you help me or can you put it in a different... Can you put it in different terms or or different wording for me? See, maybe you struggle with all three of the things that I've talked about today, or maybe you struggle with none. Either way, I believe these steps can help us all have better conversations with each other. And better conversations lead to better solutions, and better solutions lead to a better world, and ultimately a better relationship with those that we talk to. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Absurdity. You can find us online at www.theabsurdity.org, and we are also available on iTunes. Please, if you subscribe on iTunes, leave a review. And if you want to guest on the show, if you have feedback for me or would like me to discuss certain topics, email me at ryan180becker at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.